Hey, listen, I grew up in the kind of church where if you followed, like, church tradition, it was actually a negative. Like, it was, you know, there was probably something wrong with you or you were, you know, I don't know. We just had weird judgments about people that followed, like, what is called the liturgical calendar, um, which is another way of, you know, saying, like, the church calendar that kind of mostly globally, a lot of churches identify different holidays or celebrations and follow those. Now, there's two major ones. Anybody know the two major holidays on the Christian church calendar? Oh, man, you guys are way quicker than first service, too. This is so good. We're off to a good start here. Now, if you only laugh at the jokes that aren't funny, that's even better. So, um, Christmas and Easter, right? And then there's a whole host of kind of secondary ones. And here at Hope, we, you know, we celebrate Christmas and Easter. We even sometimes do the season going up to Easter, which is called... Lent, the season leading into Christmas is called Advent, so we do that, but there's a, a number of others that, you know, sometimes I think are helpful, and, um, but that's about it as far as observing the church calendar, at least since I've been here, kind of goes. But does anybody know what today's special calendar is? What was it? Pentecost Sunday. All right, let's give it right there. Good, good, good. I know, I, I don't, the only red I have, because you traditionally wear red, Arizona Cardinals jerseys, so yeah, that would be, I don't want to be a loser on, st- oh, wait, dude, sorry, sorry. <laughs> hey, we'll accept our lumps this year as Cardinal fans, yeah. Where was I? I'm going to need the Holy Spirit now, right? Okay. Um, well, in a moment, I'll read that story in the Bible where Pentecost Sunday, the first one happens 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts, um, but in short, Pentecost Sunday commemorates where the Holy Spirit showed up and came in power on the disciples of Jesus after he had ascended back to heaven, and traditionally, we do the Pentecost Sunday 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, otherwise known as Easter. You guys are so sharp today, so good. Um, but that's, that's what we're observing today. But what I want to do is go, okay, great, back then, the day of Pentecost, wonderful. But, but what about the Holy Spirit today? I know, wonderful, fine, back the day of Pentecost. Because um, sometimes I think it's easy for us to wonder things like, does the Holy Spirit matter in our lives today? Do the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, do they make any difference in our lives? Or was that just for the church in the New Testament days? Um, And, okay, so even if those gifts of the Spirit are for today, are they just sort of optional? Or questions like, hey, listen, so since the Holy Spirit is already within each believer, which is true, then, then why do we, or why do you, Doug, pray sometimes for the Holy Spirit to come since Holy Spirit's already here, right? Um... Or, or some of us um, might get nervous when we hear or think about Holy Spirit because we're like, okay, what if the Holy Spirit does move and things just start getting all weird in church, right? Which is oftentimes kind of my, my concern because I grew up in a tradition in a group called Pentecostals. Pentecostals, right? And interesting, I learned some wonderful things, some good things there. But what's interesting is as Pentecostals, we, we, we never celebrated Pentecost Sunday. I always thought that was kind of funny, right? I guess we did it every Sunday, um, is what we would have said, right? So, um, but I come from this background where, like, I you know, was kind of immersed in it. But I saw the weird and some of the stuff that I was like, oh, that is just so strange. That is so weird. And sometimes I saw stuff because... You know, when people get involved with anything, we can mess things up. I saw people that I think seem to be operating in sort of fake ways, trying to look like the gifts of the Spirit were 
moving, and we see examples of that all through um, our culture especially. So sometimes what we do is we take what I did for a while, uh, even while I was in a Pentecostal Bible college, I took what I would call the... uh, well, I would throw, I kind of threw out the Holy Spirit baby with the crazy bathwater, right? You know, does that make sense? I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? And I just took like, okay, I'm throwing out the bathwater. There goes the Holy Spirit gifts as well, because I just wanted no part of it, right? But then upon like studying scripture and being around people that actually did like calmly and normally what we would call supernaturally or naturally supernatural, uh, sometimes operated in these gifts that were actually a blessing, and not a, a show, not a drama, not a, you know, something to make, oh, yes, the special Christians, we're the ones that have the gifts, and we will look down on those that don't operate that way, you Baptists. Um, so, <laughs> and so I had to kind of come from that journey of like, okay, so what is real, and what is fake, and what's it look like to be in that operating in a, a legitimate way when it comes to the Holy Spirit, because again, I had some kind of nervousness, um, and I maybe guess that some of you do too. Um, maybe you've seen it weird, or it just seems weird, and so we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or even the Holy Spirit, and people just go, uh, why do we have to talk about this? Well, because today's Pentecost Sunday, and it's a good excuse to talk about the Holy Spirit. So, all the questions I asked earlier, uh, it's not like I'm going to be able to get to all of those this morning. But I do want to focus in on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus and why that's actually important. And not necessarily, you know, oh, sure, whatever, optional, but maybe something that we would want or something we'd hope to seek for. Um, and so today, by the way, this series actually, uh, this message ties into our series that we're in on the book of Luke. But we're going to look at the other book that Luke wrote that's in the Bible. Anybody know that book? The book of Acts, yes. So if Luke is Jesus for everyone, I don't know, maybe Acts would be Holy Spirit for everyone. But don't worry, we're not going to start a new series. We're just going to hit this and move along. Unless, you know, somebody else wants to keep preaching on it in one of the upcoming weeks. But what I want to do is tell a little bit of the backstory leading up to the day of Pentecost. Um, Uh, as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. Now, if we wanted to really dig deep, uh, it would take us um, quite a bit more time. We could go back easily into the Old Testament and talk about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Holy Spirit. But what we'll do for today's purpose, we'll just pick up with the life and ministry of Jesus and his story where he starts to talk about the Holy Spirit and why Holy Spirit is important And he says things to his disciples, um, his followers. And when he talks about the Holy Spirit, the things he says are just amazing, astonishing, almost like unbelievably too good to be true when he talks about things connected to the Holy Spirit. One of those kind of, whoa, what is Jesus saying here? How could that be possible? One of those places is in John 16. We'll put it up on the screen. But what happens here and starts in verse 5, basically he tells his disciples that he's going to leave and go back to the Father. And he knows, like, they're distressed about that. They don't want him to leave. They want him to stay. And basically he says in this passage, don't worry, guys, it's better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. Because if I don't go then the Holy Spirit will not be able to come. So it's better that I go because then you will have the Holy Spirit with you always, always. 
And I think part of what Jesus is getting at here in this passage is this. It's amazing to have Jesus with you physically here on earth, but he could only be one place at a time. Uh, His human body had that limitation, just one place at a time, but as spirit, God is able to be everywhere with everyone at all times, and so that's why he said, I'm going to go away and promise the Holy Spirit would come and not just be with the people, but to dwell within his people, within his people, um, after he ascends back to heaven. Um, so, so Jesus, by the way, part of why he's like, this is going to be better for all of you, because you know, at the time there was a smaller group of people, and eventually he knew that it would be a much larger group of followers, and he couldn't be everywhere, but he knew that they would absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Because some of the other bizarre things he said about what they were going to do with their life and their influence seemed like way too out there, right? Like John 14, um, where he told them, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. I mean, just sometimes just sit with that for five or ten minutes, like, what kind of wild promise is that? Like, I read that and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. If I was back then with him, one of the disciples, I'd be like, Jesus, greater things? Like, you've done some amazing stuff. We've seen you do miracles and healings and deliverances. And you're saying to us that we're going to do greater things than you? Jesus continues on and he actually says, yep, and here's how it's going to happen. Verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you, because he's going away, but uh, this advocate will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, leads us into all truth. You know him because he lives with you now and will be in you then. Later he's going to be in you, right? He's saying the Holy Spirit is with you already, guys, to, to his disciples. But after Jesus goes away, Holy Spirit will be in them, within them. And then after all this confusing talk and all these outlandish promises, Jesus goes back to the Father by way of going to the cross and dying on the cross. And they're terrified. They're like, I don't know what any of those promises were about because we are scared out of our minds. But then even after Jesus is raised from the dead, they're elated, overjoyed. But they still aren't sure what's going to happen. And pretty soon they go from terrified to overjoyed and I think bewildered because one of the last things Jesus does is he gives them a big job. He gives us, his followers, a big job. It's called the Great Commission. Yes, he co Missions them. Here's the mission that we're going to do together. He co-missions us as his followers with a mission to carry out on his behalf. Matthew 28, 18 says this. Then Jesus came to them. This is after he's raised from the dead, but before he's ascended. He came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's your marching orders. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And he reassures them like, hey, 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 listen, surely I'm going to be with you, with you always to the very end of the age. And how he's with them is via now the Holy Spirit. Again, they had to be so bewildered, like head spinning, what has just happened? And then you just look at the Great Commission, you go, wait a minute, Jesus, hold on, hold on. All go into all nations? Uh, Jesus, we haven't even left our own nation, our own region. But now you're saying that we're supposed to, you're going to leave, and then we're supposed to, without you, go help people learn to follow you from all nations? I mean, that's a tall order. Come on, Jesus, you... Are you kidding? Like, there's got to be a better plan, right? And, you know, I would have thought the same, right? There's got to be a better plan. Think, think of this. What kind of plan is this, right? Even, you know, when Jesus first rose from the dead, they were still scared to death, right? Hiding behind locked doors. <laughs> um, I don't know if they're great candidates for a mission like this. And rewind a few days before that to when Jesus was arrested, they had all fallen away. All of them fell away. We're just talking in the last couple of weeks here. And now, a couple of weeks later or so, he's saying, go into you guys, you all, go. You scaredy, coward, failure, messed up, confused, bewildered. But you go to all the world, make disciples. I'd be like, what, these clowns? Like, <laughs> what in the world is Jesus thinking? Like those marching orders in the Great Commission, they sound like a pipe dream. There's no way it's going to work unless, unless God gives them the power to do it, which is what Jesus then promises. Keep moving towards the day of Pentecost here, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus says to them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that, you, that he promised, as I told you before. He said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Important word, comes upon you. Okay, power to do what? You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, right, makes that promise. Holy Spirit's going to come upon them, and then boom, he like ascends back to heaven right there. He goes back to the Father, which he'd already warned him was coming and hope. There he goes. And they go, okay, what did he say to do? What did he say to do? Oh, okay, wait. And they pray, and it says a few days later, Luke tells us, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was... A sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Can you imagine? Filling the house, this mighty wind, filling the house. Maybe the windows weren't even open, but the wind was blowing. Verse 3, then what looked like flames, just picture the flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And I'll stop right there for today. That takes us up to the day of Pentecost. And I encourage you, sometime this week, just go read the, at least the rest of the chapter or, or, or maybe more of the book of Acts because what happens next is pretty amazing. After the day of Pentecost, then, then these 
cowardly, goofy, messed up, afraid <laughs> disciples, they go out and change the world. Like this little ragtag group changes the course of human history. I mean, on that day, the original day of Pentecost started out about 120 followers of Jesus. The church grew that day from 120 that day to 3,000. And in fact, fueled by what fueled them, the church has continued to grow. So now that small group of Holy Spirit-empowered disciples has multiplied into 2.6 billion people today on our planet who identify as Christians. And if you were them back then, you could not have imagined this, right? You're a little group of 120 people. Somebody says, hey, you're going to change history. Oh, yeah, you sound like Jesus with all the promises he made. That How's that going to happen, right? He must be metaphorically speaking. How's that really going to happen? But they did. They changed the course of human history. And what empowered them to do this? What changed them from being scared to death and moved them to being fearless and courageous? It was that the Holy Spirit came upon them. Upon them. And that's where I want to make what I think is an important distinction about the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian today. There's a distinction between the Holy Spirit within you and the Holy Spirit upon you. I think there's ample biblical precedent to describe the difference between the Holy Spirit within you and Holy Spirit upon you. So we're going to look at those two things for a little bit here. The Holy Spirit within, Holy Spirit upon First, a word about the Holy Spirit within you. Um, Most Christians, most theological traditions would agree that that the Holy Spirit is within every believer, right? All believers have the Holy Spirit within us. The moment that you say yes to Jesus, when you decide to follow Jesus, to give your life to Christ, you become a child of God. You are born again. He forgives you, makes you new, makes you clean, gives you a new heart, a new identity, God puts his spirit within you at that moment. And now, at that moment, you belong to God. You're a son, you're a daughter. And by the way, nothing can change that. It's a done deal. You don't have to keep being born again every time that you screw up or blow it. Right? He never, he says he will never leave you. You are sealed in Christ, protected in Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit within within you, but there is more available. See, the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you and me as well, and and to fill you over and over and over. Okay, where do you get that idea, Doug? Well, one of the places we get that idea is from the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians um, 5.18, Paul says to us, be filled with the Spirit. He starts out, do not get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but, catch this part, be filled with the Spirit. And that word right there, filled, the word used right there for filled, uh, is not just a one-time filler up. It's an over and over and again and again. It's a over and over kind of filling. Which, by the way, I'm really grateful that we don't just get a one-time filling Um, Because I leak. I don't know about you guys, but I leak, man. And I need the Holy Spirit to fill me again 
and again. See, the Holy Spirit wants to give you and I power to do the same thing the disciples in the early church did when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Signs, that includes signs and wonders and miracles and boldness to share the good news of Jesus. And to do those kinds of things, um, we are offered the Spirit of God to come upon us, to fill us, and to bring the gifts of the Spirit in order for us to do what Jesus calls us as his disciples to do. The Holy Spirit is so important, you guys. In fact, so important that even Jesus, even Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to come upon him. I think that's worth pausing and looking at for a moment. Even Jesus needed the Spirit upon him. In fact, this takes us back into the book of Luke. It's a passage that I skipped when we started this series and saved for today. Um, and there's this before and after that happens in the life of Jesus. Before and an after. There's the before, um, which happens to go up until he's age 30. And we'll see in that zone of his life. And then we'll see after, like something happens. And after that something happens, that shift happens, um, Jesus' ministry begins. And things go amazing. And things are incredible. And it's something to behold, his ministry launches after something happens. Now, let's look at the before. We don't know a ton about before with Jesus. We know about his birth. We know that at age 12, he like snuck off to the temple or stuck around, got lost, whatever, and don't know a ton. Um, Luke 2.52 does tell us this, kind of in that before zone. Um, says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. Gary Kinnaman calls that the spirit within him, the spirit within him. And we're at the end of chapter two. We've had the birth of Jesus and John, the, you know, all this stuff showed up here. End of chapter two, pretty good start, right? Not a lot of controversy uh, that Jesus has generated. People thought well of him, right? He had favor before he had favor. But again, something's about to change here. We're gonna see it in a moment after this thing happens that launches him um, it's kind of like a starting gun went off uh, to signify the beginning of a race. And, and that's the after that we'll get to here. So what happened? What happened that launched him into the after from the before to the after? Look at Luke 3. Here's the shift. Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? That's a fun conversation, but we can come back to that another time. Jesus was also baptized, but while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, note that word, upon him, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Just pause here for a second. I love this. He gets baptized, and then his heavenly father affirms who he is. And by the way, think of this. When he says, well done, Jesus, you are loved, I'm pleased with you, he says this to Jesus still in the kind of before zone. He hasn't done anything yet, right? He gets the yes of the Father before he ever does any amazing ministry, which hmm, I think that's worth some of us considering. Because um, if you think you're going to earn something or perform really well and get God's yes, you don't have to because you already have it. 
the main point on this that I wanted to catch, uh, look, at, look at verse 22 here. Right in the middle of verse 22, kind of near the beginning, there's that word upon again. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. Hmm. Now verse 23 says, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Okay, now here's the starting gun. It began. So what shifted him from before to ministry began? Here we are after. Um, And what we find out is the Spirit comes upon him. That's what it is, right? Uh, The rest of the chapter 3, it's genealogy. And then the next scene, Luke 4, verse 1, we read that Jesus... Now watch these things that have happened now that the Spirit's upon him. Listen to the phrasing. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit upon him, with full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River where he'd just been baptized, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, hang on. So with the Spirit upon him, full of the Holy Spirit, he's being led by the Spirit. And if you know the story, he goes through 40 days of temptation in the wilderness by Satan. And he emerges from that victorious because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Pick up Luke 4, verse 14 now. Again, look at the phrase here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Right? Spirit's upon him. News now starts to spread. He was kind of a nobody before, but hereafter, where news starts to spread about him through the whole countryside, teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised him. He still kind of got some of the favor of God and people going on here, right? Um, Verse 18, familiar voice. uh, Verse, we spent like four or five weeks talking about the passage that follows this, where Jesus says, His mission, he announces his mission of restoration and opens it by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? Here's the shift. Here's why the shift happened. The spirit of the Lord's upon him. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he goes down the list of the different things that he has come to do. So again, look at this. The spirit is upon him, full of the Holy Spirit, returns to this region he's from in Galilee, in the power of the Spirit, and now with the Spirit upon him, he launches the mission that will change the world forever, forever, with the Holy Spirit upon him now. Now, he, he starts this incredible teaching ministry, and there's... there's um, healing and and people are getting set free and he's casting out demons and he's bringing his message of restoration. All the stories we've been looking at the last few months in our sermon series here, all that amazing stuff, that's where it takes off and kicks off. And what marked the shift that launched Jesus' ministry, well, it happened after the Spirit comes upon him. When the power of the Spirit came upon Jesus, then his ministry got rolling. Now, put all that in play. You've got the stuff that he said to the disciples, that they needed the Holy Spirit upon them to be able to do that, and even Jesus needed the Spirit upon him. Here's my big question for Pentecost Sunday for you and for me. So if, if, if even Jesus needed the power of the Spirit upon him, don't we too? See, at Pentecost, Jesus gave this, this the, God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. The Spirit was already within them. And then at Pentecost, 
Spirit comes upon them and they take off and everything changes, right? And remember, he'd been given, he gave them the great commission, right? See, they knew and he knew that the great commission was far too big for them to do on their own. They needed and we need the spirit of God to come upon us if we're gonna move into that zone, right? That's true of not just of them, that's true of us, right? We can't possibly do all that God invites us to do. We can't do that stuff in our own strength, in our own God-given gifts. We need, friends, all of the gifts and all of the empowerment of the Spirit in order for us to live out what God invites us to. Because he invites us to a Spirit-empowered, Spirit-filled, naturally supernatural life of walking with God and bringing restoration to the world around us. See, you and I, we get, to, we get to partner with God. He invites us to represent him to a lost and dying world, to, to bring his light, his love, his life to all people. The way that the world will know the heart of God, the way that his heart will be known by the world, um, that all people are invited by God, to become a part of God's family, the way they will find that out is through you and me. And to do that, we need the Spirit upon us, don't we? See, if we just, we just want to play church, then by all means, um, there's no need to seek the empowerment and filling of the Holy Spirit. But if we want to step into the power that Jesus availed to us, we want to see blind people, blind people who begin to see and crippled people begin to walk and oppressed folks set free. If we want to see dead people and dead things and dead relationships come to life, if we're going to partner with God in Jesus' mission of restoration, we can't do it on our own. It's too big a job. We need the power of the Spirit upon us as well. Upon us as well. We can't do it in our own power, our own skills, our own abilities. We need, friends, we need the gifts and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So, all that's teaching. All that's teaching. And a practical question would be this, I think. Okay, 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 then how? How? How do we do that? How does that happen? Um, well, I think... At least part of it starts with simply each of us wanting it and seeking it. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, um, is so interesting here. It says, follow the way of love and, here's the word, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And the word eagerly there, actually, <laughs> I was trying to get around this because I was like, yeah, fine, I just want to be neutral on this. If God does it, great. If not, great. But, you know, reading this verse over and over, <clears throat> eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. I was like, I am not eager. There's <laughs> a time in my life where I was less than eager and I was probably oppositional and bought into some theology so that all oh, this stuff's not for today. Um, but I'd seen too much <laughs> to know that that couldn't possibly be right. So eagerly <sighs> desire gifts of the Spirit um, is the word zealously, right? Which it's, it's not passive, like, okay, fine, I'll just, if it happens, great. No, he's saying eagerly, zealously, it's not passive. You know, my posture before being, 
hey, you know what, this thing's just weird, I'm gonna go away, and then eventually going, okay, well, it's, it's real, it's still weird, but it's real, um, but I still don't want any part of it to finally go and, okay, this still makes me nervous. Um, but I wanna be open, and I wanna zealously desire, eagerly desire what God has, because I know God gives good gifts. He gives good gifts, so as Paul says here, eagerly seek, eagerly seek. But I also want to add this. Remember, this is not about striving or begging God to give you the gift, right? It's a gift. It's a gift. We don't beg God for a gift because the Father wants to give you this gift. And to kind of get there, look at um, Luke 11. In fact, I want to look at Luke 11 in context here because so often this passage uh, 11 verse 9 gets used in like well here's how you pray and get what you want Um, because we stop reading we stop reading but Jesus keeps talking so let's keep reading to where Jesus keeps talking let's read the first slide all together this is the one everybody is familiar with and then I'll take it from the next couple slides read this out loud so I say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, we usually stop right there and, woohoo, we can use that as like a blank check to ask for whatever, right? As long as I ask, seek, right? It's, it's, it says right there. Except we need to keep reading. Verse 11, next slide, I'll read this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, you're going to give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, like, hey, even you knuckleheads, right? You know how to give good gifts to your children. Now watch the punchline. You know how to give good, give, good, good gifts to your children. Read this out loud. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so now in context... Not with like, okay, here's a blank check to just what you want from the Lord. (laughs) In context, the Father will give what? The Father will give what? The Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask. Oh, oh, that's ask, right? And then bring it full circle. Ask, seek, and knock. Okay, this makes more sense, right? See, friends, we need more of... The Spirit, we need the Spirit to come upon us. So ask and seek and knock and what do we do? Okay, okay, I want to be open. I want to learn more. Like some of us, our next step is always, I got to learn more. I do that a lot, right? Um, and, and, And learning is wonderful and good. You could go read a book on the Holy Spirit. You could listen to some teaching. If you want some recommendations, uh, shoot us an email here. I'll send you some. And those are really helpful and good things. But you don't have to have all that first. See, it's, I think it's way more simple. You don't have to have all the knowledge and teaching behind it first. Um, I think it's more simple when we want to know how to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit coming upon us to fill us, to empower us. I, I think... We can start in a very simple way. Two words, ask and empty. Ask and empty. So, ask. Just just ask God and keep on asking, not begging, right? No, no. But earnestly, eagerly, zealously asking. Um, 
get alone with God. Get quiet. Try asking God for him to give you his heart for the world, his heart for the people around you. So you're not like, oh, I just want the gift so I can have a thing to do. No, 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 no. Ask God first to give you his heart for the world and the people around you. And then, and then maybe even dare to ask God to give you and me a picture of how huge and seemingly impossible it is to do what he's calling us to do if we try to do it on our own. We'll see how badly we need him then, right? And then, and then ask him to give you the power needed to do what you cannot do on your own. And then ask, pray, Holy Spirit, come. And, and then just wait, like they do on, did on the day of Pentecost, right? They were waiting. Holy Spirit, come. And they waited, and the Holy Spirit came. It's a pretty good, pretty good pattern. I like it. So first, ask. Second word, empty. Empty. And the question, empty, comes with a deeper question. Um, is there stuff in the way in your life that's taking up room for the Holy Spirit, maybe some things that need to be emptied out. Um, I've used this picture before, but I like it. So if I'm full of some other stuff, if I'm full of some other things, only so much can get in to fill, because there's all this other stuff crowding it out. Maybe ask Holy Spirit to show you in your life what's in the way crowding out of me being really filled of the Spirit coming upon and filling me. You could, you could pray just, Jesus, what else am I full of? And some of you will have friends like I have that will tell you exactly what you're full of. <laughs> but sometimes there's stuff in the way, right? It's that Ephesians 5, uh, 18 passage I mentioned earlier. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with uh, Spirit. Okay, uh, it's not so much about don't drink, um, <laughs> It's pointing out it's hard to have room for the Holy Spirit when I'm drunk, you know, right? Or under the influence of something else. Am I under the influence of something else and I don't have room? Because it doesn't have to be wine, right? Um, lots of us enjoy a good glass of wine, myself included. <laughs> um, but there could be other things getting in the way. So is there something in the way? I know for me... It's hard for me to have room for the Holy Spirit to fill me more and come upon me when I'm filled with rage, anger, judgment, pride, a whole host of things. And what I need to do is to empty that stuff out to make room for the Holy Spirit to fill more and more. And again, just because of the history of some of us with that Pentecostal or that holy nurse tradition, hear me say this as well. This is not about complete perfection, right? It's, it, it's not like God won't fill you until you have all your crap together, right? No, no, it's not true. It's not true. Let that go. Let him prompt you with the next thing. You don't have to go digging it up. But if I want to be filled with the Spirit influenced by the Spirit, instead of being full of something else or influenced by, under the influence of something else, I'm gonna have to make room for the Spirit to operate. And so a simple way to wonder um, is to pray, Holy Spirit, what needs to be emptied from my life? What am I turning to in order to fill uh, full instead of being filled with you? 
So I invite you to join me this week. <laughs> uh, even starting now um, in asking and emptying. Because the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. And when we have room, <laughs> he has more than enough to fill us with, to overflowing. And he wants to fill us so that it overflows on everyone we come in contact with because that's part of how he works through us to love and serve and bless the world around us. Worship team, will you come? Hope family, don't you want more of God in your life? Don't you want more Jesus showing up through your life? I know that I do. Um, I would love to see God working through all of us in powerful ways. And so a question is, do, do you need more of the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you so you can enter into and fulfill God's invitation to you and to me to love and serve and reach this world with his goodness and grace? If so, Again, ask, empty. Ask and empty and pray, Holy Spirit, come. Maybe you're in a circumstance in your real life right now where you know that if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up in power, you have no hope. You're facing dead things or things that are almost dead. And when that's the case, Friends, don't, don't we know that the only hope you and I have for dead things to come to life is if the, the Spirit comes upon us and moves in power? Or the wounded places in you or those around you, uh, those places are hopelessly broken unless, for some of us, unless the Spirit comes, fills and brings a miracle of healing. See, because when the Spirit comes... Blind eyes see, hard hearts soften, hope is renewed when the Spirit comes. And I do believe and recognize that the Holy Spirit has been moving amongst us already, but I also strongly believe that, that, that we're being invited to go deeper. Not so that we have a neat bag of tricks and can just do miracles and impress people. No, no, no. <laughs> we want the Holy Spirit to come and fill us so that lost and broken people and come and find and follow Jesus. Won't that be something? When people around us start coming to Jesus, not because of our slick Sunday show, not because of our perfectly memorized sales pitch, not because they were manipulated or had the hell scared out of them. They, not, not, not because, you know, the band was purely professional and the speaker was funny and polished. No, no. But, but people started coming to Jesus because the Spirit of God began to rest on us and to move, and that's what drew them. Won't that be something? See, because friends, that is what God is up to here and in lots of other churches as well. I believe in this season right now even, God is doing something real, but it's something that absolutely depends on the empowerment of his spirit. So we need it. 
Because without the Spirit of God actively moving in our church family, friends, we really, we have no hope. Without the Spirit of God active and moving in our individual lives, we really have no hope. So we pray, we pray, Holy Spirit, 